Hello, everybody. This is Kevin, a.k.a. Beanie. This is part two of Collection of Conversations. Nice. You heard the best direct from the man. My name is Alex. It's a beautiful day to be alive. And I am with the one, the only, the talented Kevin, a.k.a. Beanie Benitez. First and foremost, thank you for being here. Critically acclaimed, uh, highly requested. Came all the way from Simi Valley, California to come and knock out part two for us. So we really appreciate you being here, my brother. What's up, man? I'm just kicking it. You know what, man? I'm going to be honest with you. And I told you this a couple times through text message and through phone. Even one time I tied a note to a pigeon. I released that bad boy. I think he landed on your doorstep. But uh, a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. the hawk. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people were were compelled by our last conversation, man. You know, I I, I got feedback from it in all honesty. and And I texted you every time I received that feedback. One of the key things that people, I mean, stood out to a lot of people was the fact that you learned English from Count Dracula, man. (laughs) That was a trip, and it was very powerful, man. It was very interesting to hear people that I care about, loved ones, and they, you know, they'll shoot me a text every once in a while. Hey, brother, I just got done with your podcast, or hey, man, I just, I just listened to this episode, and I was like, oh, cool. Any takeaways? Anything you learned? They're like, yeah, I'm just really, I'm really, I was, it really threw me back, or. I was really surprised by that that last individual you talked to, Kevin, about how he learned English from Count Dracula, man. So that's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. So cheers to that, my brother. I know uh, that was really cool. Thank you for coming back. As I said in the last one, you're very hard to get hold of. You're a really busy man, busy schedule, husband, father to a beautiful dog. And uh, this is like two months ago, so I'm happy that we were able to wrap it up. Uh, that last episode, it was a long one, and I know that we had some unfinished business, so I wanted to get into this uh, part two so that we could kind of see the the transition part, right? So the first one, we talked about your childhood. We talked about you slanging things out there in the in the swap meets, learning how to count like Dracula, one, <laughs> two, three, four, and all of that. Um, and now we're kind of in the civilian side, right? So do you remember kind of where we left off or where we, we, where we dropped the mic last time? Yeah, it was uh, basically, I think we were talking about um, the emotional side of, you know, coming back from from war, from the, I guess, from the military. So I I think that's what we're talking about. We were saying about, you know, me, I guess it was it had to do with me uh, having emotions while I'm driving and crying on the freeway and stuff, pulling over and then um, looking at you know, why I was doing that and why um, things were happening. And I didn't understand why the things were happening. I think that was uh, the majority of the time what what we spent on the last time um, that we were talking. And uh, yeah, man, and that, that was it I, from what I remember. So you want to hop right back into that? Because I know one of the things that we spoke about was your military experience, your deployments to Iraq, your childhood the trauma that you experienced, the kind of shitty, the scary things, the fun things, the exciting things, all of it, right? And uh, so let's get right into it. So now it's kind of like the part two, the aspect of you getting away from that and then exploring life as a new individual with the new stuff that you've witnessed and experienced. So what was that transition like out of the military from from deploying and from being involved in IEDs and seeing people you love and care about injured? How, what, 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 is this, what does this phase look like? Uh, well, I think that when it comes to the transition, it's really hard just because of the fact that, um, let's say I was, uh, I came back from Iraq in April of 2005 and I was back home in May of 2005. 
So I was literally home less than a month uh, from that. And there was no transition, no process, nothing, no therapy, nothing that helped me um, kind of understand what was happening to me. I was, you know, young at the time, 24. So there was no transition for us. There was no taps like there is now. And uh, I think I I didn't understand it. And then my parents being first generation for me, they definitely didn't understand it. They didn't. What does that mean when you say they didn't understand it? Um, like they didn't understand the process of of getting out of the military. Um, I mean, they didn't ever understand the military in general. Like, you know, um, I don't know if I told this story in the first segment, but um, uh, like even something like uh, my mom got flowers when I was in Iraq. She got flowers. You did mention that. I remember. I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. So that kind of stuff. So then she didn't, um, you know, she didn't know what the military was about, how it was or whatever. And I didn't, you know, that was my fault for not explaining it. But I also didn't know what the hell it was about and how it worked. So um, I think the transition was just tough because they don't know what PTSD is, what TBI is, you know, uh, traumatic brain injury. They don't know what that is and what it could do to you as a person. Um, So it's hard to explain it after the fact. So when I say what I mean by after the fact is like if I'm having issues with memory loss or or whatever the anger, I can't explain it after the fact because then they're looking at me like, oh, you're just using that as an excuse. Well, specifically speaking about my mom, you know, I'll get mad. I'll say something. I've never been disrespectful to her, but I'm saying I'll say something that I shouldn't have said or I got angry at something that I shouldn't have ang- uh, gotten angry at. And I'll use that as an excuse, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry that I got angry at this, but she'll look at it like, oh, you're just using that as like a crutch. Like, oh, you got TBI, you got PTSD, so you just want to keep using that as an excuse for your behavior. And it's like, no, dude, it's literally what I'm going through. So you said you got back at 24 years old. So what is it like? Like, what's the, you separated, you said there was no kind of out out processing or anything that helped you explain what you were going to face or what you were going to, some barriers you were going to be you know forced to overcome so what is that like like you separate from the military where do you go home to what's that whole get down um yeah i I didn't know what it was like i just kind of went through the process that's what most people say is like so uh i lived in monrovia california when i when i first uh, joined when i got out i bought a house in lancaster with the money i saved up in um in Iraq and then I moved to Lancaster and then so I didn't know the area I didn't know anybody there and um and I, I you know my I guess my first experience of transition was uh, going out to check my mail I remember specifically I went to go out to check my mail and uh <clears throat> I just felt um like nauseous everything started spinning everything started getting messed up I didn't know what was going on. I started puking in my front yard and my neighbor was watering his lawn and he asked me like, Hey, are you all right? Is everything okay? And I was like, Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I went back inside my house and everything went away as soon as I went back inside my house. So I didn't know what the hell that was or anything. Um, and then, uh, I would say maybe six months later, that's when I got diagnosed with TBI. I didn't even know what that was back then. So so a lot, of, a lot of service members from the conversations I've had with individuals who served, 
it's kind of a difficult process for them to kind of ad, ad, have that admission of like, hey, I'm fucking broken or, hey, I, I, I've been through some shit. How do I get this rectified? How do I get this fixed? How did you even get mixed up? And I'm assuming you went to the VA and shit. How did that even get down? How did you have the courage or have the support to get into the VA? Yeah, so the closest VA to us was uh, where I was at was Sepulveda VA. So I went to Sepulveda VA. And then, um, you know, I just explained the symptoms. And then the doctor was like, hey, you know, I, I, I think you might, you know, have you ever, you know, been blown up or knocked out unconscious during, you know, your time of service? I said, yeah. And then uh, I got diagnosed with uh, with TBI. But other than that, man, I I didn't know what the VA offered or anything. I mean, I remember going there with just my ID card and I said, Hey, I was just told to come to the VA to get services. I, I don't know what, what I need to bring with me. Here's my DD 214, my ID card. And then they said, okay, yeah, we can process you. And then that was it. And then, you know, from there, you know, somebody just guided me like, Hey, this is going to be your doctor, but there was no guidance. There was nothing before I got out. It was just me just kind of figuring shit out on my own. Damn, that seems like that would be scary, overwhelming, new. Did you did you struggle with like ad- admitting or, or talking about your experience? Um, yeah, at first I did because I didn't know what I had. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And then also um, just because, you know, the whole military mindset is like, oh, I'm weak sauce. I don't want to I don't want to seem like I can't handle my shit. You know, stuff like that. So I, I didn't know how to approach it. I had no one to go to. All my friends were all dealing with their own shit, with their spouses, with whatever they had going on at the time. So I couldn't reach out to them and ask them. And, that you know, that's why peer support is so important because now it, we could reach out to our peers. But before I had no peers, I just got out and then I was on my own. Yeah. You know, the first episode... Uh, shameless plug if you haven't checked it out I would say go pause this right now go listen to the first episode and then tune back in right now so you can be caught up but in the first episode you talk about like you had a close brotherhood with a lot of the individuals that you served with when you got out did you lose contact with all those cats or what was that like dog no I I didn't actually so all the dudes I served with um I would say uh uh a shout out to the dirty dozen so we had uh where there was about 13 of us and that would uh we all stayed in contact and then um it, they all live in california i mean most of them live in california others live in other states but we all kept in contact the whole time and i know and i know there's a explanation behind the dirty dozen but i mean for someone who's maybe they're like wait a minute i ain't good at the mathematics but he just said dirty dozen which is 12 but then you said 13 of us was one of them not considered or was he half a dozen was he half baked <laughs> <laughs> How did, how, how did you get 13 out of 12? Uh, Which I know, but for everybody to kind of get caught up on it. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure he was half-baked. But uh, but, <laughs> but I would say that, yeah, so it was the dirty dozen, but a, a baker's dozen is actually 13. And the reason we call it the baker's dozen is because uh, one of the boys, his name was Baker, and he, uh, he ended up passing away after we got out uh, from injuries that he sustained in, while we were in. So we just... We just kept that name and everybody would call us that everybody would name us the dirty dozen so it wasn't a dirty dozen as in 12 it was the baker's dozen got so, you and, yeah. and and you kind of mentioned like now you understand and and uh express the importance of having peers to lean on when you got out and you were going through the va shit and just your transition were you keeping in contact with those cats or were you kind of just did you guys all fall back and kind of go into your own lives yeah 
I would say we all fall, we all fell back and just kind of did our own thing, try to survive on our own until I started getting into like the veteran space. But that's like, shoot, I got out in 2005. I didn't get into the veteran industry, I guess, till 2013. So I, it, it was a long time before I, I realized what I wanted to do, like that aha moment, that eye opening moment, like, okay, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. Shit, I, I feel that. So you get out, you're navigating through the VA, you're, 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 you're getting those diagnoses and you're getting that squared away. Where, where do you go to first? I know a lot of service members, they first land in like college or they get a job and they just fucking pick up life. How did, what, what was your transition? Like, was it school? Was it work? What was that get down the first one? Yeah, so my first school was Antelope Valley College in Lancaster. Community college? It was a community college, yeah, I went there. And then, of course, uh, like the majority of vets, they want to study criminal justice because that was the easiest shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> criminal justice, like, oh, okay, I can hold a gun. I got this shit. Yeah. And then, uh, um, so I did that. And then uh, I got a job at uh, an Air Force plant, which was, uh, they called it Plant 42. Basically, they it was like a secret plant where they built like Blackbirds and all these high top secret planes. I got a job there as a lieutenant. So I was a civilian lieutenant um, working there and going to school. It after ain't I a got secret out. no more with your ass telling it. But uh, uh, No, it ain't a secret. So you were a full-time student at night and working through the day or what? what yeah. What? Yeah, well, actually, I would work, it, it, it would, it would, I usually would work swing shift, so that meant that I would work from, like, 2 to 10.30. Oh, that's and then a I, one. Yeah, so then I would, it sucked, man, but I was low on the seniority pole. And then I would, uh, I would go to school in the morning, and then go to work right after, so those, those days were really long, but. Uh, so you yeah. went, you kind of, uh, I know. <clears throat> different experiences for different people, but you kind of went full on, right? You were a full-time student and then working too. What was that like? How, what did your days look like? Yeah. I mean, it sucked, but at the same time I was young and I was like, dude, I used to do this shit, you know, for five years, I could suck it up. It's all good. I didn't have a, like a family. I didn't have any kids. So I would just, just go through the motions. I didn't realize like, you know, the value of time until you start getting older. But at that time, it's like I would work different jobs, graveyard, whatever it was, and I would still, um, I would go to school. And then um, actually before that job, to be honest, before that job I was doing, I was in, uh, I worked for the the government. I was doing the ASVAB testing. Oh, shit. Yeah. I never so, did that. So I was doing ASVAB testing, and so I would go to sites and give the ASVAB test to high school students. What? Yeah. How'd you <laughs> land that? It was like a little side gig. Uh, and they would pay me like my mileage and then they would pay me per hour of how long it took. So I was doing the ASVAB stuff. And so I would grab the test and then send them to MEPS, which was kind of cool. Um, so it was kind of related to the military. But after that, um, that's when I got that full job job at Plant 42. Were you uh, when you went to that community college, did you struggle academically or was school? Because I know I know you I know. What was that like? Oh yeah, I struggled big time. Uh, just like probably a lot of vets, they they come out of high school, they go join the military. Four or five years later, they go back to community college, and they're like, "Damn, what the hell is algebra?" You know. So for me, I mean, I sucked at math uh, growing up. So I mean, I sucked at math as soon as I got out. So <laughs> <laughs> so so I went I went <laughs> so uh so yeah man I had to get tutoring I had to take uh like support classes you know to try to deal with math and then um I remember talking to this teacher and that's how I got into social services I asked him 
Well, I asked my counselor, what is the, <laughs> this is how bad it was. What is the degree or what is the major that requires the least amount of math? And then he said, well, that would be like uh, the behavioral sciences or social sciences. I said, okay, what's that? He's like social services, sociology, psychology, human services. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do that for the rest of my life because I'm not good at math. Boy. What and was then, your What was your degree in? So at that time, it was administration of justice. And, uh, and then I transferred to Cal State LA with a, uh, to transfer into a major of psychology. So my bachelor's is in psychology. No shit. And when you trans, when you graduated from community college, did you walk? Did you do the whole get down? Nah, man. I, I, yeah, I didn't even walk. My parents are like, wow, you know, we're so proud of you. I was like, yeah, it's all good. I graduated like two months ago. And <laughs> they were like, what? Like, we never knew you graduated. I'm like, dude, because that's not my end goal. You know, that's not my end goal. My end goal is to get to my master's because this is what I want to do. Yeah. Any regret in not walking through your AA? Nah, I don't regret it at all. No? Uh. And when you uh, when you were in the Plant 42, that's super secret that you just told the world about, um, what, what <laughs> did your job entail there? Uh, I was a lieutenant. I mean. Did you, you make people salute you or what? Yeah, I mean, I tried, <laughs> but uh, it didn't work out that well. But uh, yeah, you you met a couple of the guys I used to work there with. No shout outs to uh, uh, Alex Galvez and Isaac. But uh, yeah, I, w I was basically the guy that would be running the tower. So they would, you know, ask me if they're clear to run the uh, go across the runway. We ran security for the base. So I was a lieutenant there and then we were just in charge of, of that particular shift. <clears throat> Damn, that's interesting. That's and and all of this, and and you remained in that job while you were navigating Cal State LA. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, yeah, it was at, no, it was during while I was at ABC, and then after that, that's when I left to go to the county. Yeah. Okay, and um, that jump from community college to a four year institution, I know sometimes can be fucking scary or overwhelming did you did you struggle with any of that because I, I always tell people that's a big transition also you know like a two-year community college classroom smaller campuses smaller maybe different supportive services um when you got to the four-year was that a difficult transition for you um i would say so just because the the university i transferred to cal state late it was smaller they call it a commuter school so it didn't have um it, it wasn't as big as all these other Cal States or UCs. And then um, uh, it didn't even have a VRC. It didn't even have a veteran center. Oh, so, no shit. Yeah. So it just had a lady that did the certifying. Um, and then that was it. it had no no center. And, and so we would just go to her office, get our stuff certified. And that, that was it, man. So it was really like it felt like it wasn't that hard of a transition just because it wasn't like a huge school kind of just in and out yeah yeah so we would i would just go to class i would go to work go to class at night from class drive all the way back to lancaster and like literally did that every day oh, that was yeah. probably a grind huh yeah hell yeah and that when you were in that uh cal state la is when you you mentioned earlier you transitioned into a county job or something yeah i had a uh, so i got a job at the county la county public works and then uh, I worked in uh, Castaic, which is by Magic Mountain, a little north of Magic Mountain. And we would be doing the, the groundwork, you know, pavement, uh, asphalt, that kind of stuff, like ground maintenance, basically, for the entire county. 
I think one time I was talking to you about it, and uh, you were, you were talking about something with ice, like you had to plow plow <laughs> snow or something. Was yeah. that right? Yeah. So we would plow snow in the winter, bro. So we would plow snow all the way up to uh, Gorman and you know Lake Elizabeth, all that stuff. We would plow snow in the middle of the night, and that's how we made extra money. Is because we would work a graveyard shift. That seems kind of like I don't know. It seems like a a job where you're working very solo and you're on your own type of thing. Yeah, bro. I love that gig, man. It's one of my favorites because, I mean, I was there for four years. Uh, you know, honestly, people retire from that job. But my my goal was to to not retire from there. My goal was to get educated and try to move on and do something I love doing. But I kind of like that job. Yeah. Those county jobs always you got to like the OGs that's been there and they have houses yeah. and all the toys. And it's a lot of people get not stuck because that sounds like a negative connotation to it. But they get a. Uh, complacent i don't even want to say complacent but i feel like that's where they land right that's where yeah. they land that's where they end up they're comfortable there that's their you know feeds their quality of life so mm -hmm. uh what what caused you to have that mentality of like i don't want to do this or i don't want to get stuck quote unquote stuck here um uh, i felt like there was like i don't know man it sounds kind of corny but there, i felt like there was like a bigger calling for me to to not just stay there doing a county gig you know and i thought of it in my in my future i'm like man i can't I could do this now while I'm young, but I already got, you know, a fucked up back. I got, you know, <laughs> messed up hips and shit. I can't be doing this, this kind of stuff. My knees are fucked up. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to get, I already feel at that age, I was what, like 28, 29. And I already felt like I was 40 years old, you know? And then it, it I'm like, dude, this, this job is not going to last. Uh, like my, my body's not going to last for this job. So I need to find another job that's going to fucking you know, let, let me live longer and shit. Which is a common theme I hear with a lot of vets is like their 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 body is always the determining factor of what they're gonna do professionally, right? Like making sure that can keep up with it because the mentality is there, like hard work, wake up early, <clears throat> fucking, you can do all that, but it's just physically it start to grind, started to grind on you a bit. Yeah, man. I mean, just just I mean, just like the snow plowing stuff that was. Um we would have to stay up at night so we would we'd work graveyard 12-hour shifts and then just literally plow snow all night you know just driving up and down the roads up and down the, the, the that area and um when we had to shovel stuff you know shovel asphalt whatever i mean it takes a toll on your body it's a hard job to do but i mean i'm glad i did it because i felt like that was my that in the military were like my jobs where i was grinding like that was where i learned like where the, the, the bottom people, the bottom feeders are at, I was there, I did it, and now I can look back and reflect and be like, okay, I was there once, so now I, I need to enjoy my life. You, you know? see any crazy shit while being out there late at night or any weird shit? Uh, I wouldn't say weird shit. I mean, it was always... <laughs> It came down to weird animals, to be honest, because it was up in the mountains, so you would see, like, bobcats, badgers, fucking raccoons... Uh, um chupacabras yeah chupacabras dude funny bro but I, I didn't i didn't tell you bro but we found a chupacabra in the fucking in the driveway the fuck dude up. i'm not fucking with you i'll show you right now are you being yeah. serious dude i swear okay, to god my, on, my okay. neighbor my neighbor caught a chupacabra in the driveway okay. <laughs> wait this is then or this is now? no no this is now I'll okay we'll get there okay we'll, okay, get, we'll get there because i don't know all right bro because the goat sucking animal no it's a goat sucking animal yes i don't is. know i don't know if you're trolling me right now right? no no i'm not bro i'm not making stuff but anyways man okay but, so but yeah it was just weird animals and you uh you did all of that uh 
He's showing me a picture right now of, I'm not going to lie, it does look either like a malnourished coyote or a chupacabra. It does. looks like a big, weird dog with a long tail, big pointy yeah, ears, bro. with ribs. Let me see. Let me try to explain it. How do you explain look that? Look how bro? fucking raggedy that shit looks. That's a chupacabra. Bro. It does look raggedy. It looks like an overgrown chihuahua. With a long, his know. tail is from his ass to the bottom of his back hind legs. Maybe I could try to post that picture on. Yeah, uh, you should post instead it. of the picture of you. I'll post that. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you do that. Okay, Roger. Yeah, that. So, yeah. Thank you for showing me that. Yeah, I appreciate it. And <laughs> thank you for your time. <laughs> Those are always like the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. Like I appreciate you taking the time to show me that. <laughs> like, yeah, Roger that. Eat a dick. Yeah. Eat a dick.com. <laughs> All right. So you're going through Cal State LA. Uh, and when you're doing that, uh, when you're plowing the snow, um, you do that job throughout your whole. Yeah. He's showing me another picture of a, a of an actual chupacabra. And it looks like him, right? I'm not even going to bullshit. <laughs> it genuinely does. Because I'm looking at the tail length is the yeah, same. Which bro, freaks that's me what I'm out. trying to say, bro. That shit was in our driveway two weeks ago. Or no, two nights ago. Two nights. 830 at night. My neighbor took the picture, bro. And send it to you? Yeah. He said, you got a Chupacabra on your driveway. And what did you, how did you respond? I was like, we got a mythical creature in our driveway? <laughs> yeah. I was like, golly. I don't think it's a mythical creature. Oh. I think, yeah, it used to suck the blood out of goats. My parents we don't got any to, goats, so we're good. Oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah. My parents used to threaten me with, like, the Chupacabra attacking me at night, and I was like, god damn, this is great parenting. So then when you were going through the county job and, and plowing snow, uh, what did you get your bachelor's degree in? Uh, psychology. So you finished it up, you did wrap it up, and you kept that job throughout your whole, uh, your undergrad? Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. And then I quit when I got, when I graduated, I got accepted in USC. That's when I quit. Damn. So you, 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 you graduate with a bachelor's degree. You have an associate's degree. You worked your whole way through both, uh, your educational journey. Did you, did you do the, did you walk for your bachelor's degree? Nah, I didn't. Did you tell your parents this time? No, nah, I didn't tell them. I was like, yeah, I graduated two weeks ago. I know. Same thing as last time. <laughs> yeah. Last time yeah. was two months. I noticed yeah. a lot of veterans or military connected folks, they kind of just persevere. They just go to the next uh, the next venture in life. So I always like to ask that question. Um, so you graduate. What does it feel like getting accepted into fucking University of Southern California coming from where you're coming from? You know they're not going to have uh, Sesame Street on the TV. So do you... Do you, do you <laughs> Do you start getting anxious about that, or do you just, like, what do you feel? Yeah, bro, I think I put that on my application. Like, I requested Count Dracula to be present. Yeah. But clearly that wasn't possible. Uh, so uh, so I would say that, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I remember to this day, man, um, I got the envelope in the mail, and I didn't even open it, man, because I was freaking out. I got the envelope, and then... Real quick, so, pause. Is that the... Uh, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is that the only school you applied for, or did you apply for other institutions? Nah, that's it, bro. Oh, all, so all you eggs put, in one oh, basket, bro. Fuck it. So I go hard that. or go home, man. I could see go it Go hard there, okay. or go home. So I, I applied to that. I got the envelope, and then uh, I gave it to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and I gave her the envelope. I remember we were at a Starbucks, and she opened it, and she read it, and she was like, babe you got in and i was like what the fuck I, I just took it from her hand i was like you're fucking with me i grabbed it and i was like oh shit like i did get in i was like holy shit like this is a big deal because it's a it's a to me it was like a big deal as far as a private school and i was always trying to make my parents proud of me you know so for me to go to usc i was like fuck man this is a big deal because no one in my family not not only usc but just fucking get a degree like there's not i mean i, I could probably count three four people that have a bachelor's in my family so 
the fact that I was able to get into a master's program, that's a fucking big deal. Damn. And what, what, uh, how do you celebrate that? What do you do? What's your next step when you get that letter and admissions into the university of Southern California? Um, nothing, man. I mean, honestly, I didn't do shit. We were at Starbucks. <laughs> we were, uh, and, uh, we just, got some coffee that was it man <laughs> honestly it wasn't nothing the the only thing i was excited about is that i got in with my girlfriend so we met in undergrad so at bachelor's and then and then we both got in together to usc because she had already applied to uc irvine she got into uc irvine i didn't apply to any of these other schools so it was either usc or go home for me when did she find out in 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 uh like compared to you when, when did was it after or before oh it was after yeah. Oh, so you got it first. I got it first. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be a Trojan. Yeah. Like a condom. But yeah. yeah, but but then she didn't find out till later. Yeah. Damn, that's that's gotta be an exciting moment. And then the master's program that you applied for was the uh master's in social work with a concentration in military fam or uh veterans and military families. That's what it was. So kind of the yeah. to, to kind of to recap your educational journey, it was like more of the criminal justice side and then psychology and then masters. What led you to apply for that program and feel like, Hey, this is the, is, was it based off the mathematics again? Um, no, I think when I got to my bachelor's program, <clears throat> my teacher told me like one of the teachers told me, uh, you can't really do anything with a bachelor's in psychology. You can't do therapy. Uh, you can't, you, your lowest level is a case manager. Um, so if you want to do therapy, you want to help other people, you're going to have to go into your master's program to get, be able to uh, be eligible for licensure. And then, um, during that, I was taking my finals for my bachelor's program. And then that's when Baker died. So when Baker died, that's when I went to his funeral, try to find out Baker was my best friend and he died. And then when I went there, I talked to his mom and his mom said, well, apparently according to his social worker, and his, uh, his doctor, um, he confused the meds that he was supposed to take. And then basically it was his social worker fucked him over. So I was like, damn, I didn't know there was social workers for vets. And then she was like, yeah, I mean, he had a social worker attached to him or whatever. I was like, what, what I thought this whole time, social workers, all they did was, you know, they talk about kid snatchers and they talk about intruding into families and stuff. And I was like, Oh shit, social workers working with vets. So I came back from his funeral, took all my finals, graduated, whatever. And that's when I applied to USC because I didn't, I was, I told his mom, I promised to this day, I told her, I was like, I'm going to make sure that like, I'll do everything in my power that this shit does not happen to any other vets other than like what happened to my boy. Cause this is bullshit. Like somebody failed him in the system and that's why he ended up, you know, accidentally killing himself. Pretty much. So it seems like you took that very personal. You took that direct and kind of took it yeah. as like a, a challenge to yourself. Yeah, bro. Because, it, it, I mean, shit, I mean, we were attached to the hip, dude. Iraq, Kosovo, working at the Pentagon. Like, we were, like, the closest, man. You talk to any of the homies, they're always going to be like, dude, Kevin, you know, Baker and Beanie were always close. We were roommates. We did everything together, man. So it was tough. But, I mean... That's all I can do is just kind of live with his energy and then just try to uh, just try to be there for other vets and just kind of keep it keep it going, you know, keep it keep it moving with as far as like helping other vets out. You know, it's interesting because uh, you, you said that you got that news during your undergraduate program. Mm -hmm. And I know for some people and when I say some people, I mean myself, like I've had uh, individuals 
die or pass away very close to me but i've never had it sudden or abrupt right it was because of illness and i, and I can't you kind of know it's coming you can't anticipate it you can't anticipate how you're going to feel but you're like okay they have cancer they're getting sick they're getting weaker they're deteriorating the doctor's giving a timeline right and i faced that in multiple occasions but for you it seems like that was sudden or that was abrupt how, how did you find out and how did that make you feel if you can go back to that moment yeah man i mean my first initial response was like anger you know I, I deal with grief with anger i don't know i just to flip out um and when i say anger i start punching stuff i mean it's not like i flip out on people it's just like i start breaking things trying to release my anger but the, i would say my first time i found out was i was at work um working for the county and then i got a bunch of missed calls i didn't answer them because i was at work and then i got a text from one of my other army uh friends and said hey you know i don't know if this is real or not but um you know they're saying that baker's dead and i'm like oh shit so i called baker's mom and i got her phone number from facebook sure enough man i call her she's all she did was cry 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 as soon as i heard her crying i was like fuck it's a wrap like this dude died and then i went to my boss i told him like hey i gotta go you know uh i'm gonna have to take some time off because I'm going to need to fly to North Carolina. And then, um, yeah, man, and that was it. I, I, I stopped working that day. I left to work. And then his son was in the military, so he knew um, he was cool with it. And then he knew, and I was gone for, I would say, 10 days. I, I, I went to North Carolina, and I, you know, buried my buddy. I was there when the body got there. They had an open casket, so we stayed with him all night. We did a... Well, my buddy said an Irish wake and um, we just stay with him, man. We'll stay with his body all night, man. It was kind of crazy. <clears throat> yeah, that's that sounds like that's got to be fucking scary, frightening, overwhelming, lonely, a lot of emotions, you know, and, and, and although we keep this shit light and we have a good time and the ninety nine point nine percent of the time that we're together, we, we, we cope with um, laughter or we make a joke of something that's heavy. But I also think that there's fucking value in us explaining and educating, right? And and you mentioned that you experience or you process grief through anger. And I and I actually learned this from you. There there are five stages of grief and 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 you know that, that was kind of created by Kubler Ross, the model. And uh she's not a model, but it's the Kubler Ross <laughs> model. At least I don't think we she's don't like, know. If she's yeah, she might be fine that. as she fuck. She might be fine, yeah. Yeah, we she went know. through trauma and she's yeah. like, I'm fine, I'm I'm explaining grief. Yeah. But um you know, she talks about different stages of grief and, and those those five emotions are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And another thing that I learned from you, brother, is that uh it's not linear, right? It doesn't come in that direct order. So there's different ways that we can experience. One day we can wake up and we could be anger angry. The next day we can wake up, have acceptance, go through depression. So for you, that was kind of your first emotion was anger when you found out, right? And I know for some of us it may be denial, but yeah, I just wanted to drop that out there for anybody that's going through grief or may experience grief that there are different stages and they happen at different times and, and to give yourself grace and patience while you're fucking processing that. So what was that like doing that? What, what, what's an Irish wake? So, I mean, from what we heard uh, and what we knew was that um, you basically stay up with the body and you, you, you pretty much party it up and drink the whole time. So you celebrate their life instead of grieving their death which I thought was interesting because I'd never been through something like that. But one of our buddies, Danny, he was there 
and um and then we were at the at, in the it was it's surreal bro because we were in the church and it was um because he was military he had a guy like guarding him at the church right like a person in uniform or whatever because he was at the in the navy at the time and so we were in the church and it was me danny and this uh this other girl uh her name was hershey oh that's what we called her Damn. uh hirsch um so hershey <laughs> i ain't going there <laughs> danny and me right so we're there his body's in front of us in the casket and we're literally drinking in a church, bro, getting fucking shit-faced in a fucking church. And the dude standing guard, he was a vet. So he was like, hey, do you you guys do you? And then my buddy Danny's like, hey, bro, you want a shot? Whatever. He's like, nah, man, I'm fucking, I'm standing guard. Like, I got to stand guard until they bury the body. And then, uh, so we're just chilling, man. We're fucking drinking, getting wasted. We're going to the fucking casket. We're talking to him and shit. And there's always moments of, like, anger you know where there's always moments of anger like damn i wish i would have known bro i wish i could have helped you out um like fuck why didn't you reach out for help you know why didn't you tell me you were going through this shit and and um those questions are never answered because they're never going to be you know yet that that person's dead so they can't they can't communicate to, to you so i f i always felt like um like there was unanswered questions and there's always this there's always a um a reason to to uh want to help that person out and feel regrets feel like damn i could have done something more um but at the same time it's like there, there's only so much you can do you know so i felt like you know that was that was just um, a surreal moment for us because I didn't know that that all of a sudden he just passed away and we didn't have anything else that we can do because we didn't expect it to happen. Do you still experience any of those feelings or emotions of those of, of what you kind of just spoke about? Yeah, I, say, I would say they're like repressed um, because we use um, we use like I guess we repress our, our behavior to try to protect ourselves as a coping mechanism. So I feel like if we're coping and we're like, hey, we don't feel this, then it allows us to protect ourselves because I'm not feeling it. it I'm not weak, quote unquote weak. I'm not crying. I'm not doing anything. I just move on, just keep it moving because there's nothing else I can do. <clears throat> That's powerful. Yeah, it's so true too, right? I know, I know I'm a... I know that's one way that I cope. Like, like I don't really dwell on shit. Right? I just move on to the next thing and try to get past it as soon as possible, which is not always the healthiest. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, yeah, man. So, you you get that news and then and then you you end up getting accepted into your program. That, that seems like a wide fucking wide range of emotions right there. Were you able to fully do? Because I know you kind of joked about it, like, hey, I just had a Starbucks, had a little macchiato. Do you feel like any of that impacted that? Like because you were going through such a powerful loss or a scary loss? No, I mean, I felt like, uh, to be honest, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but I feel like uh, Baker, my buddy, so he was my road dog. And then, um, so I feel like, uh, like he would, uh, like he placed my wife in the position in front of me to to arrange rearrange my life so i feel like he placed her 
in that position to where I can I can seek guidance from somebody else that wasn't me. And then, I mean, not to get too deep into it, but before I met her, I never trusted anybody. So I wouldn't trust anybody, no matter how nice they were or anything. And then when I finally got to meet her, I was like, wow, there's actually good people in this world, good people that have hearts, that have that care about other people. But if I didn't meet her, I would have stayed the same. I would have just stayed like, fuck everybody. I don't give a fuck. Everybody's a piece of shit. I'm good to go. And and I would be fine with that because I was keeping myself safe from trusting people that could fuck me over. Well, I know we took a little break, but you were in the middle of talking about how when you met your wife, that was the first person that you kind of felt that trust with and you feel like uh, Baker was kind of responsible for placing her in your life. Yeah, man. So basically... Um, when when i f when i felt that i discovered a individual that was um uh genuinely nice genuinely trustworthy i thought wow this world does have people that are nice that are that are um that are good people and and then she inspired me to be like open up my mind to receive um I guess the niceness received like that, 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 that love that I wasn't receiving before because I would always deny it because I'm like, nah, they're just full of shit. They don't, they don't, they're, you know, they're putting on a front, this person's fake, whatever. I would always doubt everybody I encountered. And then, so until I met her, then I was like, wow, she's genuinely like this. So yeah, man. And still is man. Shout out to the yeah. What a special woman. And she cooks great uh, baked goods, man. <laughs> she'll be cooking. Like, I'm not a fan of paleoti and vegan and all that, but she'll be cooking some shit where I'm like, man, this is unhealthy for you. And then she'll tell me, like, that is made by no animal byproducts. And usually I'll spit it out, but my fat ass is like, but this is delicious. <laughs> I'm going to eat it all. Yeah, good stuff, too. Yeah, hey, man. you know what, bro? What's interesting to me, man, and, and, and this... Uh, collection of conversations you know if you look at the if you look at the bio of the show and why we started man it's really about the the, the uh, inspired by a poem from tupac you know the roads that grew from concrete over facing adversity overcoming trials tribulations overcoming fucking hits on the chin and bouncing back up man for, so for this whole time when you separated from the military you went to antelope valley casita la you got accepted in usc drinking caramel macchiatos during oh, throughout geez. that time were you faced with any any adversity did you take any hits on the chin did you get in any trouble was there any down moments um yeah actually it's funny that you bring that up man because so I was studying criminal justice. I was working at Plant 42 for the Air Force uh, and as a contractor, and I got hired by Glendale Police Department uh, as a cop. And then what ended up happening is that um, I was in their academy in uh, Santa Clarita with the Sheriff's Department. I was in there for like two months, ready to be a cop, whatever. I'm running up a hill, and, um, and I... They, you know, the, the, I guess the, the first, uh, prognostic was that I tore my calf muscle. So I injured myself. So I go to the hospital and then they say, um, I go to the hospital, long story short, they're like, Hey man, it, it's not a calf muscle. It, it could have been your calf, calf muscle, but you, t um, you have blood clots in your leg, in your right shit. leg. And I was like, Oh shit, dude. So I'm only 25. I'm talking to the doctor. Doctor's like, you know, this is a serious issue. You can die from this. 
if a clot goes to your lungs or to your heart, you could have a lung embolism, a heart attack, or a, a brain aneurysm, right? So if it goes to my brain, it stops my brain from working. And I was 25, man, 26. So he's like, you're the youngest patient I've ever seen with this condition. Usually it's older individuals that have slower blood flow. And then uh, I was like, oh, shit, you know, this is pretty serious. So I'm getting like shots in my stomach, all this stuff, you know, that to thin out my blood. I'm in the emergency room. I was in the hospital for 10 days. And then uh, so what happened from there, man, I mean, it kind of went downhill because of the fact that the Glendale Police Department couldn't wait. It's not like the army where they kind of just uh, uh, recycle you, recycle you. Yeah, I couldn't think of the word. Yeah, they recycle you into another unit. If you can't finish the police academy, they just they just pretty much let you go. Um, so I got let go from the um, that was the first job I got fired from uh, one out of three. But uh, after that, um, everything kind of went downhill, man. I started, you know, doing dumb shit, drinking doing like stupid stuff because i felt like i had no purpose like fuck i'm a piece of shit all this other stuff and then uh i would say my my first time um getting in trouble or like you mentioned before would be like damn you know i got i got arrested in um arcadia by arcadia pd and this is after you were already separated from the police department and all of that yeah yeah, so then I was like, fuck, dude, I, I pretty much ruined my career, my life, you know, after this, I felt like I was the biggest piece of shit, I still have my, my, uh, my mug shot, man, I still have it in my closet to remind me of how much of a piece of shit I was, so that way I don't do it again, and then, um, yeah, man, I got arrested for, like, a felony gun charge. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 don't, don't just breeze over that. <laughs> what, what were you doing, smuggling AKs or what? Nah, I wasn't smuggling <laughs> shit. Uh, nah, man. <laughs> nah, man, I mean, I was honestly just out. I had come back from a shooting range, and um, next thing you know, man, I got, you know, I got pulled over with a bunch of Latinos in the car. Uh, we were all together. Sheriffs pull us over, all this stuff. We, I tell them, hey, you know, these are all the weapons we have. They check the trunk, everything. They're like, do you mind if we search your vehicle? I was like, nah, man, go ahead, you know. And they search the vehicle, and sure enough, they find a, a fucking, it's, it, if you look it up, it's it's a two-shot Derringer. It's, a, it's back in the day, people would use that when they would play poker. And they would threaten their opponent with a Derringer underneath the table. Like, hey, if you put this card out, I'm going to shoot you with this shit back in the day. So this uh, a Derringer is a historic gun. It's a two-shot. And it's it's a 32 caliber. So I had that. <laughs> Stupid of me. I forgot that it was in my fucking... I had a Nissan Altima. And it had, like, the thing... Uh, you would press a button and your, um, your sunglasses would come down. So I had the Derringer hidden in my sunglass holder. And I forgot. So I told the cops, yeah, sure, hey, you know, search the vehicle. I fucked up. I didn't know my laws. I could have just been like, nah, you don't have a search warrant. But I was being honest. And then next thing you know, they're sitting me on the sidewalk. They're sitting everybody on the curb. They put handcuffs on us. They put me in the car. And I was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, well, we found one of the weapons that you didn't mention in the vehicle. You're the driver. So you're considered responsible for this. It was loaded, so it's considered a felony, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck, dude. So I thought it just ruined my life. And then I was in I was in jail Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I got bailed out by my buddy Eli, who is also a veteran. He's the one that bailed me out. And then I ended up, you know, I, I paid him back because I didn't want to stay in jail the whole week. But I had to meet with a, a judge the next week 
but I didn't want to stay in jail the whole week. So I only stayed in jail for, I think it was three nights and four days. I got released on the fourth day. So, um, so yeah, man. And then, um, that was the worst one. And then that kind of fucking sent like a ripple effect down, you know, I, I just went downhill from there, started drinking and started doing dumb shit. So it sounds like you play a lot of poker. <laughs> no, I'm just a historian, bro. I love history. <laughs> I love history, bro. So if you look up Derringers, that's what they used to do um, back in the day. So they would have, it's a small gun you hold in your hand and you, you could threaten people with it underneath the table so they wouldn't put a card down. What was it like being in jail as a veteran, like going through that moment in your life? Did you just feel defeated? Did you feel empowered? What were the emotions that you were going through? I felt like that was the first time in my life that I got my freedom taken away. But in the military, I felt that. So that's the funny part is that I felt like I didn't have any freedom in the military. But when I was in jail, I was like, damn, this is what it's like to get your freedom taken away. Like before they would tell me when to shit, when to eat, whatever. This time, literally, if I want to shit, I can, but I, I can't do it. And like I can shit, but I have to do it in front of three or four individuals in the same cell. And then now so I was like, fuck, dude, like. They, like this is a different way of freedom than looking at it before i was told when to do it but now i'm able to do it but i gotta do it in front of these individuals i'd rather be back in the military that's the way i thought about it what was your mind like when you were in that jail cell did you did you was that was that pretty dark spot for you personally yeah man trying to sleep they you know they slide the tray underneath the the little opening with the with the food and shit and the food tastes like shit and um i think my first like reaction i guess or my first where i'm like oh fuck i'm getting arrested for felonies when they, they took my shoelaces away bro and i was like what the fuck is this um i remember i had some k-swiss on and they they took the shoelaces away and i was like what the fuck like why why would you take my shoelaces and they're like oh because you could kill yourself with the shoelaces so i'm like oh shit like I never even thought of that, you know, like, why would I want to do that? And they're like, oh, because people double up the shoelaces, they hang themselves. And I was like, oh, fuck, like, I'm not trying to kill myself because of this shit. And they're like, dude, you'd be surprised, like, people kill themselves for less. And I was like, fuck, you know, the sheriff told me that. And I was like, okay, roger that, you know, and so I'm walking around with fucking K-Swiss with no shoelaces. And I look like shit. I, I remember, bro, I still have it up in my closet right now. I was wearing a yellow plaid shirt, bro, and I looked like pissed off, man, when they <laughs> took that mugshot, bro. I was so pissed. I was like, I can't believe I'm going through this. And I felt like the biggest piece of shit, man. I was like, my life is over. I'll never get a fucking job, you know? So, yeah, man. Damn, that sounds like that's got to be fucking scary. And this was uh, one you were going to school in Cal State LA. No, no, this is before I got to Cal State LA. Damn, so talk about resilience. So when I you kind of skipped that part. Yeah, when you <laughs> when you got out though, you you just kind of continued on. It was like continue mission like, "Hey, I need to keep going." Or did you have any doubt of dropping out of school and just being a career crim criminal or what? No, I definitely didn't want to be a career criminal. Uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> I was like, I need to uh pretty much unfuck myself, man, and just fix what I was doing. You know, the problem was is that I didn't see that what I was doing in the moment, like, you know, drinking, my coping mechanisms were all fucked up. I didn't seek therapy. So I just kept drinking, doing dumb shit, man. And that, that I mean, that led to what me, was it, no, nah, it wasn't during the bachelors but anyways it led to me getting arrested again <laughs> which is which is not a good fucking which is not a good way to fucking lead the story but uh yeah man i got arrested with uh 
you know, uh, it was a, a, a the first time, and then that led down the the wrong path to where I got arrested again, and it was for reckless driving because they thought I was drunk, and uh, yeah, so that that would be the second time I got arrested by a fucking CHP. And how long? How long after the first time were you arrested the second time? Because that's a you had a felony on your record. That's a strike or no? Is that is that? Crazy? Yeah, it was a strike. But then when I went to court, I explained the situation. And the cool thing that I get, I guess the thing that saved me is that the gun that was found inside the vehicle wasn't mine. Which I, which you would think that it would be worse because it's a felony. You're not the owner of the gun, so that means you're in possession of another firearm that's not yours. But the judge, with the way I explained it, I said the owner of this gun is in Afghanistan. And he can't testify to say that it's his gun because he's in Afghanistan. And then he reviewed my records. He's like, okay, you're a vet, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to take it down from a felony to a misdemeanor. And I was like, okay, cool. So, and then he's like, but with that condition is we're not returning the gun to you. And I was like, man, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care about that gun. I don't care what it looks like or whatever. I don't want it. You know, I don't want it in my life. Whose gun was it? Who, uh, it was actually, uh, I mean, I would say, so my, I mean, I don't know if you met him at the wedding, but his name was Danny. So it was, it got moved on from one military dude to another guy to another guy. So it wasn't never registered. It was just moved on, you know? Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. And then how long after did you get arrested the second time? Um, And what was that situation like? It was, yeah, man. I mean, it was just doing stupid shit, partying in Hermosa Beach and drinking and stuff. And then they, we got pulled over by CHP and they made me do field sobriety test. And then uh, I passed them all, but because they couldn't prove that I was drunk or I was sober, they ended up, um, uh, they ended up arresting me either way because they, I had alcohol in my breath. So when I ended up fighting it, um, I ended up getting a misdemeanor reckless drive. Or, uh, they call it a dry reckless, which basically means they couldn't prove that I was drunk, but they couldn't prove that I was sober either. So I got that on my record, and I knew for sure like my life was over after that. Why couldn't they prove that you were drunk? Were you drunk? Oh yeah, I'm sure I was drunk. Yeah. And they just didn't. They didn't blow you, or no? Nah, I mean, uh, that didn't sound right. But yeah, I would say that um, that. <laughs> that <laughs> That uh, that they that if uh, they they try to blow me, <laughs> but um, I ended up uh blowing under the percentage, but because of my my or no sorry, I ended up blowing over the percentage, but because of my uh, actions, like I passed the field sobriety test, I did everything that they were telling me to do. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't slurring my speech. All these other things. They were like, okay, clearly he's over the percentage, so we're going to try to get him on this, but he's behaving like a normal human being. And I knew what FSTs looked like, field sobriety tests, because I used to do military police in the Army, so I already knew what the test consisted of. So I was able to pass it with flying colors. So they're like, okay, we smell alcohol in this guy's breath. He's not acting drunk, but we know he has been drinking, so therefore we have to give him a citation. So, And, and you said that uh, f- for sure when you when you got that citation, you thought your life was over. Why did you feel that? Uh, I felt like it was over because I felt like having a criminal record would destroy any chance I had at having any type of like good job. And I think that looking back at it, uh, I kind of don't regret um, having gone through that because I could provide 
other people with like um like an opportunity to be a role model like hey dude i went through this shit and look at the job i have now you know and then compared to before where i was like dude there's no way on earth i would ever feel like i had the job like that so like it contributed to your testimony that you have today to talk about resilience and overcoming and and when yeah. did you get that second arrest you were in your master's program or were you still in your bachelor's um i would say master's yeah master's program so i was already at usc yeah damn so that's got a fucking double sting because Golly, like I got into this master's program and now I got arrested again. Like, yeah, that shit sucked, man. And speaking about your master's program, what was that transition like? Uh, He's showing me the picture of the of the American Corps Derringer M1. You could Google. That's a cool looking gun, actually. It's really small, bro. It goes in your hand right here. Yeah, because when you said he was able to fit inside of the um, palm and the sunglasses container, I was like, damn. But it's a two shot, so it shoots two thirty two at once. At once, yeah. Or you could cock it back and shoot two different ones, yeah. Might have to look into getting me one a damn. Oh, God, uh, you don't want to get one a damn. So then you're in your master's program. Did you, tr- did you, did when you transitioned in that, you, you said that you were with your girlfriend at the time, now your wife. Did you struggle academically? Was there any fear that next transition? Because that's something, you know, with the industry that I work in right now, I'm, I'm always talking about transition phases. And from associates to bachelor's is one, and then bachelor's to master's is a whole nother beast, right? The academic rigor, the... The, the ability like where professors don't give a fuck what you're doing you're 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 on your own essentially like get it done this is what you got to do there's no micromanaging or there's no follow-up did you did you struggle at any time academically and and what was your day-to-day like day life like did you work what what was that whole get down yeah man i think academically the the biggest thing that i struggled with was um because i'm in the behavioral sciences was statistics because i suck at math so um I think that transition was really hard because I didn't know who to reach out to. And another thing too is us as veterans, we don't want to reach out for help. And I think that's another problem is that when we should reach out for help, we don't. And then by the time we reach out, it's too late. So mm. that so that's what's what's fucked up is that by the time I would reach out to somebody like, oh fuck, I'm you know, I'm struggling, I'm barely about to pass this class, I need help. And they're like, Oh, okay, what what you know, you taking the midterm? the first quiz and i'm like no 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 this is the final and they're looking at me like what the fuck like dude you should have came to us way before because now you're taking the final there's a lot of pressure that's added on to you to pass this fucking final to pass the class and i was like man but i mean i thought i could handle it you know just being that 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 military mindset it's like damn you know i thought i could handle this shit i thought i got to pass it i'm a grown ass person i was what 30 one going through the program I'm like dude i'm already a grown-ass man like I, I you know i'm sure i could figure this out but it, it, it got too heavy and then by the time you fucking ask for help it's too late man any crazy shit happened while you're in your master's program like any 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 were you faced or with any more adversity any more arrests i don't want to come directly like that <laughs> <laughs> seems like you've been arrested in every academic experience yeah on. no it happens um <sighs> Nah, man. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've only been arrested twice, thank God. Uh, I've been in a police car like four times, but I've only been arrested twice. Nice. Uh, yeah, once with, with, with Eli, with Top, but that was when I was an adolescent. Nice. Yeah. And, and when you were going through your master's program, you didn't work? Because I know there's a lot of younger individuals that listen to this going through education themselves. Did you work or did you, fo- did you focus solely on your academics? What, what was that get down? Um. So I quit my county job when I got into USC because they required an internship. 
So I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have time to work and go to my internship. So I had to quit that. And then I worked at a hotel and I would work graveyard shift at a hotel um, while I, I went to USC. And then, um, yeah, man, and that was it. I mean, I got, I got fired from that hotel. <laughs> I got fired from uh, another job as a concierge. Um, and that's what I tell a lot of the veterans that I, I talk to is like doing the right thing for us is not necessarily the right thing for the community. And it sounds crazy, but um, things like working through lunch, right? Things that vets would do like, dude, I, you know, I could crank out this eight hour shift, all the work I have, I could crank it out in four hours and then chill the rest of the time. When well, the civilian world is like, it doesn't work that way. People spread out the jobs. You look at people like, damn, they're fucking lazy asses. They're, the, the same shit they're doing in eight hours you can do in four, but at the same time, they're taking their lunch, they're doing what they have to do because there's laws and rules and regulations that you have to take a 30-minute lunch, an hour lunch. Before, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't taking a lunch break, and then I didn't do it three times. I got fired because I, I, I didn't clock out on my lunch break, and I'm like, dude, I'm fucking doing my work. I'm doing everything I have to do, but... Just because I'm doing my work in a more efficient manner than these other fucking dirtbags that you have hired here, then uh, you're going to fire me. And they're like, yeah, because if not, then we get sued. We can get sued. We can get in trouble and all this other stuff. And I'm like, man, fuck this place. So, yeah. So so I started learning that the hard way, bro, because I, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have an understanding of how the civilian community was. So, yeah, man, it's it's about resilience. That's probably one of my favorite parts about you when I got to know you a little deeper and, and, and got to understand your life and what you've what you've gone through and where you're at now is like those are the factors that I'm most intrigued by. So we kind of talked about the arrest and there, there's people right now, bro, that are going through that. And, and I'm sure we breeze over this shit right now. Like, oh, I got arrested. I bounced back. I got this job. But when you're in the thick of it, that shit's heavy. That shit's scary. You long nights you're fucking not sleeping you're stressing you're walking around your community trying to fucking walk it off but when you when you got arrested like or correction when you got uh fired <laughs> from your jobs what was that like like how many jobs have you been fired from quick over <laughs> under for any of the gamblers down there real quick to place a bet have you been fired from more jobs than you've been arrested <laughs> so the, the action we would be allow two a pause yes. then a bet the over under yeah, so the, the over under is 2.5 <laughs> So have you been arrested uh, more times you than to get him with the hook? Boy. Yeah, have you been fired more uh, times than you've been arrested? Yes. Oh, golly, golly! So everybody yeah. took the over. You're fucking cashing yeah, out. Yeah, you're cashing out. I hope you bet on that. Yeah. So how many times have you been arrested, and for what, why, when, where, well, and how? Oh, those are the two times I've been arrested. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, fired, felony, gun charge, and then uh, uh, reckless driving. But then the three times. So one was for doing my. Um, not clocking out for lunch. The other one was doing my homework at work. <laughs> like, God, man, I can't believe I fucking did that. And then the third one was because they decided to put me as a bodyguard at some uh, bar, beach bar uh, called Sharky's. And I think it was Newport. Oh, a lot of the listeners be at Sharky's right, right now. They yeah. had the Sharky's. Yeah, Sharky's is legit, man. It's one of my favorite spots. But I was there, and they were trying to make me do other bullshit that wasn't related to doing security stuff. Like, So you were security at Sharky's? Yeah, bro. And <laughs> it was fucking terrible. But that's the funny part is that I took that gig because I needed the money because I got fired from my other job. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was like, stop yeah. the bleeding. Let me yeah. just get a piece of shit job. Exactly. And then you got fired from the piece of shit job? No, so I didn't really get fired. It was more of like a mutual uh, disagreement that led to me quitting. <laughs> I'll say it like that. That's what they have in the NFL when they yeah. tell a coach, like, you either going to quit or get fired. Exactly, bro. <laughs> so oh, I'll resign. So, yeah, so I didn't even have to write a resignation letter, which I had to do. But technically, I didn't have to do it. So I, I resigned from that. And then the third job was actually a prestigious individual job, but I got laid off from USC. So technically, <laughs> that would be the other job where I got laid off. And that's kind of jumping ahead. So when you got yeah. fired from Sharkies, what was that like? You said they tried to make you do some shit? Yeah, man. I mean, they use the security guards to do other bullshit like clean, uh, you know, some douchebag spills, some drinks on the floor. They make them wipe it um that kind of stuff so i was like man i'm i'm security you know i don't i don't need to be dealing with this shit um but at the same time you know before when i was in the military i was like okay you know i'll do whatever it takes but then after i realized what the civilian world was like i was like man they're gonna take my job for granted like anybody could replace me you know so that's when i was like nah fuck that like i'm not gonna do this shit and then uh yeah man i didn't show up to my shift one day and then the <laughs> next day i got let go man what yeah. yeah that's interesting so fired from three jobs yeah and one one uh uh laid off yeah yeah, yeah. and where were you living at this because i know that's a part of your your story too you lived in very obscure locations very unique uh type of situations is it true that you lived on a boat boat oh, at one time oh my god yeah man so i i during my internship at uh usc my first year um i rented a boat from this guy <laughs> for a thousand dollars a month and i would live on his boat and i would literally sleep in that bitch for a whole i slept in there for a whole year i'd wake up and there would be like seagulls just shitting everywhere <laughs> but it was it was an intriguing uh experience that i i choose to not regret and because it was awesome man i mean shit man it, it was cool man to live on a boat sleep on that bitch um it was a it was a cool experience bro i, I could honestly say that i lived on a boat for an entire year did you travel to like the seven seas or where 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 out in the boat were you in the middle of the pacific uh, or what Nah, i didn't say i knew how to drive that motherfucker <laughs> i just said i slept in it so <laughs> i rented it and i slept in it that's it i didn't, wasn't allowed to leave the dock or steal the boat or fucking use it to drive around the marina i wasn't allowed to do none of that shit so that's why i said the seagulls would just shit on the boat and then um and that was it man but it was a very unique experience marina del rey um it made me think about uh how simple my life could be because all my things that were in my apartment and everything were in storage and i actually didn't need them man for that whole entire year i was fine I was working, I was living on the boat, going to school, going to my internship, everything was fine. I was paying a thousand bucks and I was fine, man, for a whole year. So I'm like, man, it, it makes you kind of think like, I don't need all this other shit, TV, cable. I had the bunny ears on my fucking, on my little TV inside the boat. I would watch football. If I couldn't watch it, I would just go to a bar, watch the football game. I mean, it, it was, it was cool, man. I, I mean, yeah, I, I just, it makes you appreciate the little things. Did you cook on it? You can cook on the boat, but I'm not a good cook. So I didn't cook on it. I just got, like, seafood from the local spots. That's dope, man. It sounds like a unique experience of fucking living on a boat while you were in your... You mentioned you were in your internship. What was your internship while you were in your master's program? Did you have to do two or one? Uh, two. 
What were they? So one was working with adolescent youth that were at risk. And so a lot of them had suicidal ideation, had uh, um, a lot of like self-harm, you know. So a lot of them were cutters or quote-unquote cutters, people that would cut themselves, um, substance abuse, stuff like that. They were teenagers. And then uh, that was my first internship. And then the second one at USC, you get to pick it. So my second internship was at LBCC. Oh, Long Beach City College. Yeah. I got to work with vets. That's cool. Is that your first interaction with veterans? Is that when you fell in love with the field? Yeah, with education. Yeah. Well, what was uh, what were you uh, what did you fall in love with? What did you enjoy? What did you enjoy about working with veterans? Because I know that was your concentration, and I know you say now that that was the industry that you kind of you know fell in love with and found your purpose. What 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 about it did you enjoy, or do you enjoy? Um, I mean, after that, man, I fell in love with. Working with vets because a lot of them don't have that help from the transition when they get out. So I wanted to be like, it, without sounding corny, man, I wanted to be the, um, I guess, the light tower, you know, like the light tower that would guide them to shore. And I know it sounds fucking corny, bro, but when you're lost at sea and I've been there, you've been there, bro. A lot of us have been there. You're lost at sea. You're like, fuck, dude, I just need to know where the fuck to go. It's not like somebody's guiding you to get there. It's just more of like, we just need to know where to go. So if you light up the shore and you're like, Oh fuck dude, that's where the beach is at. Okay. I need to get there. Roger that I'll get there. But if you don't have that guiding light to show you that you're like, fuck dude, I just keep paddling left and right, left and right. I don't know where the fuck the shore is at. It's at night. It's all gloomy or whatever. And I felt like that was the, the, the sign that showed me like, okay, I can be that lighthouse for that lighthouse for somebody else because I was the guy that was lost in the sauce. I was the one on a boat in the ocean. So it's almost like you were the beacon of hope. Yeah. Damn, man. Oh, damn, and that was deep. I don't know about the beacon of hope, but yeah. I mean it's kind of the same kind yeah. of the same analogies, like yeah. finding that that spot where you know you need to get to because that's right. a safe space. Right. You graduate from USC, uh did you walk for that one? Yeah, well, I well, had to gr walk for that one because that was gonna be my last one, boy. So yeah. Hey, for someone you know, full transparency that hasn't graduated with their master's degree, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the fight right now. Uh, what's that like, man? What's that feeling like? Because that's what they call your terminal degree. You said you were done after that, even though although you you went into your doctor doctoral program, which we'll talk about in episode 29. Godly. But uh, what's that like, man? Graduating from your master's program all the way from Count Dracula to right here, and I know we make a joke of it, but like. That's a big fucking deal, man. That mm -hmm. is like you can't you we we can't like bullshit that like all the way from learning how to speak English from Count Dracula to going through elementary school to learning English to getting arrested to fucking going to the military, getting blown all this shit all the way from graduating from USC, man. If you kind of sit yourself in that moment right now in this space, what was that like? What did that feel like? What did that taste like? How was that, man? Um, I mean, it was like a surreal moment because I thought like, man, I'm not only the first person in my family to have a bachelor's or a master's degree, but the fact that I'm graduating from USC, it's like a huge deal, right? And I always want my parents to feel proud of me. And I remember, dude, that when I, when I, you know, I walked on stage, I was like, fuck, dude, I can't believe this is actually happening. But then in the moment I was like, okay, what's the next step? I think that's the problem with us as veterans is we always look at what's the next step. We don't enjoy that, that moment. We don't enjoy the, 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 the present. So I always tell a lot of veterans when they transfer to universities that are big, I always tell them like, Hey, 
whenever you transfer try to enjoy the moment enjoy the time that you have there because we're all we're looking at is what's the next thing okay what's the next thing oh we graduate okay let me get a job you know so i never enjoyed like my time at usc i mean think about it i only went to one game one tailgate at usc usc is known as like a big football university i went to one tailgate one game that was it the only game i went to is because i was nominated fucking veteran of the quarter and i was invited to the game with my family that was the only reason i went to the game so i think about like why didn't i enjoy more time at usc why didn't i join the present and that's what that's 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 things that i reflect on that i wish i would have enjoyed more but at the end of the day bro i mean it was a, a very proud moment for my family coming from you know immigrant family first generation like you said learning english from count dracula and then and then going to usc and graduating right there um it's a big important moment for me but i feel like it's not so much the university or anything what other people may say like wow you have a master's degree it's more of like that's an accomplishment for me as an individual because i feel like there's been so many challenges so many reasons why i should stop so many reasons why i should quit but i never did you know so i feel like all the people that surrounded me were the people that guided me to get there because i wouldn't be able to do it by myself and you say you went to that game in usc what's that experience like walking on the fucking my, my my brother and my family were big trojan fans so what was that like walking on the field man so many iconic players came out of there and 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 fucking nfl stars and i know you're a big nfl fan what was that like being on the field and walking in there and getting that nomination dude it's fucking nuts man i still to this day don't know what what teachers or what committee submitted my name as to get veteran of the quarter but you get acknowledged man at the beginning of the game and at halftime so you get a whole suite for yourself with your entire family you could bring up to 10 guests i brought all my you know my cousins my dad i mean everybody was there man and and uh it's kind of cool man they give you uh free food drinks um liz was there you just i mean pretty much get drunk and eat for free man for the entire time of the game so it's pretty cool and i and um and that was back then man I, and i think back and i'm like fuck i i didn't even enjoy that moment you know i was just like oh fuck like I, I can't believe i had this i was happy my family had it and it, it were there but i don't remember like enjoying the moment and i think that's what i regret the most it seems like that's a common theme throughout this story of your life of like getting accomplishment and just moving on to the next thing you know that seems like something that's common for you is not being able to sit in the moment um you graduate and then you what's your first your job post-graduation because now it's say i have a master's degree i have experience i've done internships I fucking I, I understand and I've studied sequel shit. What what's your first job into that? Uh so my first job uh it was working at Volunteers of America and that's when I got hired by Jim, by Jim Zenner. So he ended up hiring me uh as a program manager in Orange County. <laughs> and that's how I met you, bro, at uh, at uh, Battle Buddy Bridge. A legend in the veteran space, a legend in the helping profession, Mr. Jim Zenner. Google him, send him an email, and tell him you heard about him through this podcast. Yeah, a very powerful man, or a, a down-to-earth leader, a leader that puts his people first. Um, yeah, that, that's where that's where I met you, and that's where I kind of catch up. I remember my first interaction with you was you were a program manager, and with all due respect, I walk into this office, and I'm like, all right, I need to talk to the boss. Like, I'm trying to get a motherfucking J-O-B, right? That's the word of the day. <laughs> And then I walk in, I run into you, and you're wearing, like, some fucking cargo shorts with some fucking slip-on shoes, a, a, a USC hat, 
and your dog Smokey was a puppy at the time and he had bit my ankle and I was like, man, hey, look, sir, can I talk to your boss? And you're like, oh, I think I'm the boss. And I, was like, I, was like, I was like, oh, shit, yes, sir. I salute you, snap into parade res. And I'm like, uh, but what was that like leading your first program as a, as a Battle Buddy Bridge program manager and leading a, a prestigious program at that point? Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, it was, it was kind of scary because um, I didn't know what I, what, to be honest, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, you know, at the time. So I think about that and I'm like, man, like how did uh, Jim hire me to run this program in Orange County for peer support? And um, I mean, looking back at it, it's like, I, I don't even know how I did it, man. I mean, you just, you know, as veterans, we just kind of figure it out. We just do it and then we figure it out, man. We just get through it and um, that's it. But I remember being like, felt like I was ready, you know, but I didn't know what I was ready for. I was just ready to like handle anything. And you did that for a couple of years? Yeah, two years. And uh I mean we can go deep into each one, but I know I know we're trying to get to the to the to the nugget here. So after after you do that job, you lead that program, I'm sure there's a lot of wins you get, a lot of losses you got, a lot of learned experiences, a lot of um, great hires, including myself. Shout out to me. Oh um, hell yeah! But uh, <laughs> but uh, the best hire. after that job, where do, where do you transition to next? After you know you get a couple years under your belt in the health and profession, real life shit. Where, what's your next transition? Um, after doing that, like outreach and stuff like that, that's when I um ended up. I was working there for two years, and then um, my boss Jim Zenner ended up leaving to USC. And then when he left to USC, of course, my goal was to work at the university where I used to, you know, I went to school at. So imagine telling your family, like, oh, man, I work at USC. I ended up getting a job there as a care coordinator for USC. And then, uh, yeah, man, and then I brought you, you know, I, I brought you on board too, man, trying to get you back on the team. And, um, and, then, <laughs> and then what, like, not even a year later, we got fucking laid off or whatever <laughs> yeah that, that was the big leagues man i'll never forget that yeah. from, from my perspective i know this is about you but from my perspective we got hired and then like they had a marching band and like they took yeah. our profession we had like professional headshots oh, you're right you're right you're yeah. like professional headshots yeah, that on linkedin they gave us yeah. a tour of a uh, campus saw tommy trojan and i never went to a school like that you know i stay out here in the hood fucking santa Ana college cal state fortin but uh <laughs> you know, got to see that campus and got to see how much money they poured into their employees. And we had a marching band and they fed us in the outdoor, like, fucking, I don't know, like a fair almost of sorts. And I remember thinking, like, damn, this is the big leagues. First time I got my own office, right? You had your own office, even though we weren't in that motherfucker. <laughs> but, uh, and I damn. remember, you know, those, it's the little things that I remember, you know, Kevin. And one of the things that I remember is in our office, uh, they were giving us a tour, like, hey, this is your office, this is your desk. And I remember the view, and I just kind of sat out, looked around. And then they were like, yeah, heads up, you got some markers here, and you could do your organizational planning on the on the wall. <laughs> and I was like, first thing, I don't know what organizational planning is. Like, exactly. I, I'm just going to go run into the wall ten times and figure this shit out. But they're exactly. like, yeah, 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 build out your recruitment plan. And I'm like, okay, cool. I This is a true story, bro. I was like, y'all got like a, like a, a, a notepad? And then they're like, for what? I'm like, so I could do the planning. They're like, no, you should write it on the wall. And I remember getting my ass whooped as a kid writing on the wall. Yes, so I'm like, I ain't sir. writing on no wall. And they're like, no, 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 this wall right here, you could write on and then erase and then rewrite on it. And yeah, I'm like, the whole wall. I'm like, on the wall? 
And they're like, yeah, these markers are here. Like, they looked at me like I was the fucking idiot. And I was like, I ain't, <laughs> this is the ultimate okie doke. I ain't falling for this. I ain't riding on no wall and getting fired. <laughs> the true veteran in me just wanted to draw a big, never mind. But yeah, man. Oh, so, man. So, so I was just like, this is crazy, man. So you do that job and then you talked about being laid off, man. Uh, so how long did you do that job for? Uh, I think it was, was it, uh, was it like a, not even two years, right? It was like 10 months. Yeah. They shut down the program. Uh, I know that we, car- I know that we, car- <laughs> I know that we carpooled <laughs> sometimes, man. And, and I remember like, I was, a, uh, I was like, sometimes we carpooled. I would wait because you were living in South County. I was living in North County. Like, all right, I'm gonna wait for you, man. But remember, you got to be here by seven for us to get there at nine. You show up at like at seven forty-five with a coffee bean in your hand, talking about, yeah, I hate traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's made that commute from Orange County to LA, if you don't leave by six forty-five, you're not getting there till ten thirty. So we were perpetually late. Yeah. But um, I remember you told me that uh, the day that you got laid off, you got laid off on your birthday. What's that like, man? Oh man, that was the best day of my life. I think. <laughs> no, I got yeah. What's crazy is that. Um, so USC had a severance package for us. We never but, seen that. Yeah, we had never seen that. So they paid us um, because they laid us off. They paid us um, uh, to basically uh, to survive, I guess, financially for like another. I think it was two months. And um, the crazy part is that that the termination date was on my birthday. So what we tried to do was try to find jobs in between those two months. And um, next thing you know, I'm finding a job. I'm trying to look for a job at Long Beach City College. You know, I got hit up by one of the people I used to work with. And what's funny is that I've never been laid off or or, or fired on the same day that I got hired. So I literally got fired and hired on the same day. It's kind of nice. And that was my birthday, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and I remember I was all bummed out. I was like the first job that I got laid off from, and you're like, you had a big ass because we it was like the death row line. We had, were all oh, lined up outside of the office, and then you were in I first. That. You came out with a big ass smile on your face, and you're like, "You gave me a thumbs up." And they're like, "Mr. Alex, you're next." And I was like, "Oh, this is we probably got a raise." And then I get down, and they give us this <laughs> package to like sign this. I'm like, "For oh, what?" Damn, they're like, "Yeah, man. you're you're accepting termination." Like, why in the fuck did this dude have a big ass smile? And I came out, you're waiting for me. You're like, dude, let's go ball. We got paid for two months. We can literally get paid to play basketball. I'm like, yeah, that's a positive way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, so we played basketball oh, for a couple months, man. fucking getting paid. So what, what was that second job that you got after that layoff? Um, After that, man, it was Long Beach City College, and that's when I got into education, working with vets, um, started seeing the 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 barriers that they were facing things that vets were dealing with as in regard to vet, uh education and then um yeah man and that 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 was it man that kind of like uh spearheaded my uh, my future in um higher education in higher ed yeah in higher ed working with vets yeah and then now, I mean, kind of fast forwarding, but now you work at a prestigious community college in La- in Los Angeles County. You're a professor. Uh, kind of all came back full circle, right? Because you went to school at USC. Um, you got laid off from USC, and then you were a, you were a faculty member at USC teaching a class in, in for the master's program. And you're a professor at some other institutions. So, um, what what was that feeling like? Like that when right now where you're at in the current position you're at and, and having the experience you have when you reflect back on everything that's happened professionally, where do, how do you kind of, and I don't want to be cheap with it, but how do you kind of summarize these experiences that you faced? And for anybody that's 
taking some L's or taking some fucking pitfalls? How, how, how do you kind of instill hope in them now looking at what you've seen and what you've gone through? Oh, man, I, I would say that, I mean, you know, there's sometimes where you mess up and you sometimes where there's things and barriers and obstacles that come up in your life. But I would say that the biggest thing is that don't give up on yourself um, because there's no one else that's going to be there for you. So even if other people give up on you, don't give up on yourself because of the fact that if everyone on this planet gave up on you, but you're the one that keeps struggling, striving to be the better version of yourself, or you find a mate or a person that makes you the better version, stick with that person, man, because you never know where your life can lead in, in the direction you can lead because you have one person that believes in you, one person that's going to make you, um, not make you change, but make your thought process change to where you're like, fuck, you know, I could be a better person. So don't give up on yourself. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing is like, because once you give up on yourself, it's a wrap, you know, cause no one else is going to believe in you until you believe internally that you can make it happen. Was there any moments in this journey that you've been through for these last two episodes that you've ever contemplated or were in it for these people listening? Were you ever in a dark spot where you ever thought about giving up on yourself? I would say, I mean, when I got arrested, bro, if you look at my mugshot, it looks like I gave up on life, man. I mean, I, I gave up like, fuck, dude, my life is over. I wanted to work for the FBI. I wanted to be a cop. <clears throat> but there was a bigger calling for me, and I didn't. I just didn't know it at the time. So always, you know, try to stay positive. Try to stay in the moment. Value what you have in front of you. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about what you did in the past. Just try to value the moment. Um, but there have been times where you know i was in a dark place and i thought that things were just not gonna get better bro they did you know i just thought they weren't gonna get better so i just i just felt like fuck it you know it doesn't matter what i do it's not gonna get better but when you interact with these individuals that that can change your life whether it's like you're inspiring them or they're inspiring you that's when you need to pay attention because at the same time i might feel like my life is a shit show but to other people they might be like damn i can't believe this guy made it through this far so i'm an inspiration to other people so i gotta keep it keep it kind of going for those people or for the other people that believed in me like no your life is a shit show but you have this going on you know come like fight with us right so i always think about like you know like staying in the fight for other people so it's not always about me it's about you know just trying to survive and trying to uh, you know live the moment that's it and you know if you could sit back and you could you could you could be in front of someone right now and if i'm that person i'll i'll i'll, I'll be that vessel and you and, and i'm someone who's taking some l's and for example, and, and, and you could talk to someone who's listening to this that feels like they're in the dark moment of that mugshot. What, what, what would you look them in the eyes and tell them directly to instill that hope back in or find that lighthouse in them? What would you tell them if they're the ones listening where they're like, my life's fucked, it's a shit show, I'm all broken, I'm all fucked up mentally, I don't have no aspiration. What could you tell someone that would instill a little bit of hope in them and be a hope dealer? Um... I would, I would ask them straight up, like, okay, my life is fucked. All the stuff that you just mentioned right now would be like, okay, can you tell the future? 
right? Because if they can, then I'm like, hey, I'm trying to buy a lotto ticket. Give me the numbers. But if they if they can't, then I would be like, hey, man, at the end of the day, you can't tell your future unless you do it. So your future is in your hands. So I would always tell them like, hey, if you think that you're fucked up, that your life is a shit show, that you're going to end up a piece of shit, most veterans will always say, man, if I didn't find so-and-so, quote-unquote so-and-so, right, I would be dead in a ditch somewhere. You always hear that from vets. In my case, it's my wife, right? If I didn't find my wife, I would be dead in a ditch somewhere. So what they mean by that is that not necessarily literally dead in a ditch, but they would be fucked. So you always have to think about like, you're thinking about the future, but what are you going to do to get there? So I always try to question people when they come to me and they're like, oh, dude, my life is fucked. I mean, I've seen people that, I mean, you know, bro, like I, I've had students in my class, literally a person that murdered two people, literally killed two people and works at the VA. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a joke, but he... I mean, it is what it is. That's what happens because of people being able to rehabilitate themselves and fix their lives and unfuck their lives. So when I see those kind of inspirational stories, that's when I look back and I'm like, God, man, like I didn't even do that car, that, that kind of hard time where you're in prison for 20 years, 23 years, and then you're able to get out and still reestablish yourself. Like, fuck, man, what am I complaining about? You know? And I've seen it, man. I've seen it. I mean, it, it's happened. So I, I would tell those people, like, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith because it it's possible. It's just a matter of, like, a matter of the right people you meet and your decisions moving forward. You can't change the past, but you can change your future. So your past is, you know, it is what it is, but you can change your future and make it to your best situation. So you can you can adapt your future to what your lifestyle is about, but you can't change the past. If whatever you did, it is what it is, but you can change your future for sure. Powerful stuff, man. What's your favorite word? Favorite word? Resilience. And I've heard you graduated, and, I, and I've been to a couple of your graduations <laughs> where you're graduating a couple of your classes, man. Tell me why that's your favorite word and what that means to you. Um, shit, man. That's my favorite word just because, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's like... It just demonstrates the ability to overcome barriers, man. And I feel like a lot of us deal with barriers, whether it's our personal stuff in our own head, with life, with challenges, different things, man. Life is a fucking barrier. Life itself is fucking hard. We're always grinding. We're always going to work. Like, we weren't born into, like, rich-ass families where we could just lay back and not do shit. So I feel like um, if it, you know... Just resilience itself is the ability to overcome barriers, overcome obstacles that are going to prevent you from achieving the goals that you want. So I always look at resilience as like my favorite word just because I, I feel like we do that every day, but we take it for granted that we take what we do every day for granted because of the life that we have, that it's every day we're doing it. So people go to work, people clock in, clock out, do everything, you know, come home, whatever it is, feed the dog. Uh, go for a walk, do whatever, but we don't look at like our daily struggles of the shit that we're dealing with, whether it's like if we're a marginalized community, if we're, you know, black and brown community, whatever it is, like all these struggles we deal with, nobody realizes it until we're faced with that in the moment. So when we're asked that, like how you're asking me right now, nobody realizes it, you know, that you go to a community that you're looked at you're frowned upon because of the the way that you look, the way that you're dressed. Right. 
you go into a place if you're bald, if you're bald headed or whatever, and then they look, oh damn, he's a gangbanger. Oh shit, this and that. But let you know, let that same person be wearing some veteran shit, a veteran shirt, a veteran hat. Oh shit, you're a vet. Now you took on another identity, but that identity is not what your true identity is. You're taking it on because of the moment that you're in. You're like, well, fuck, I'm not trying to be treated like a marginalized like group so yeah fuck it yeah i'm a vet oh shit man yeah where'd you serve at blah blah but otherwise bro you're just we're just all fucking just you know typical whatever it is latinos with fucking tattoos and shit like that we're not viewed at as that identity we have to assume the identity that we appear to to the community so anyways man going back to resilience it has to do with what we're able to overcome and it's hard to overcome a lot of shit in life because life is short life is we live one time dude we've had we've lost a lot of people you and i have lost a lot of people that were close to us and we only live one time man so we have to be resilient we have to be able to overcome those losses to be able to to uh, live our life to live the life that those people that we lost would want us to live yeah, man, that is so fucking true. And I think you exemplify resilience, man. I'll be honest with you. You know, the the purpose of this two-part series or this this experience or this experiment that we're we're I'm 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 trying to get out is that uh that there's a beginning and then there's a middle and that hopefully there's an end. And I and I think that uh for for you and from where we started from a month ago and talking about where you started from and how you've navigated life and the barriers that you overcome i think you really exemplify resilience man i think um I, i've seen you do i've seen you graduate multiple classes from your being a professor and being an educator and being not only a professor in the formal capacity of saying i'm gonna get in front of a classroom and teach people a series of fucking modules or a series of weeks but i think you're a real life professor right and you're a real life educator on real shit because not everything not everything in the experience is you know, provided in a, in a in a classroom setting, right? It's fucking outside of the classroom. You could you could have a student come to class and, and you could teach them that shit, but what are they gonna do when they go back to their hood and they're forced with fucking trauma and they're forced with eight different circumstances on the way home, taking two buses and and, th and that's what I that's what I um, that's what I'm most proud to know you about and what I'm what I'm most fired up and excited to be in your life and be a, a part of your life is seeing that. Not only how you educate people in a formal capacity, but how you how you educate and attract people in an informal or unformal capacity, right? So, I think that you know what—that's your favorite word, resilience. And I've heard you give multiple speeches on resilience. What I think, if in 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 my in my book, in my life, my book that I write, in my world, you know, I'll be honest with you, Kevin. I put your face and I put your story under the definition of resilience, brother. So. Um, I, I hope you know that just for me as a, as a peer, as a colleague, as a friend, as a fucking brother, as someone in the fight, someone that's fucking grinding it out um, with you, um, that, I, that I see you as the definition of resilience. And I, I, and I don't know how anybody else cannot see you as a definition of resilience coming from where you're coming from, right? And we reference Count Dracula a lot of times, but... <laughs> from and it, it, it's funny and shit. It's, 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 it it's, is it's, funny, it's, 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 it's laughing material, but... At the end of the day, man, learning how to speak English from Count Dracula all the way up to being a professor from the University of Southern California or all other institutions that you've been a professor at and being the 
the the leader that you are in your professional capacity is fucking that to me that is the true definition of resilience that's overcoming barriers overcoming obstacles and thriving and succeeding so if we could we'll, we'll wrap it up with this but if you if you see yourself because you know we talked about a lot about your personal professional but nobody talks about well we haven't spoken about the other accomplishments that you have about being a pillar of hope or, or a lighthouse or a beacon for so many of us. And I'm, and I'm part of that. I'm part of that fucking tribe of people that you've instilled hope in. And, you know, you're also a, a owner of multiple properties. You're also, <laughs> you do a lot of things, right? And we, I don't, I don't want to put the personal shit out there, but there's a lot of shit that I know that, you know, how you give, you're a giver, you're naturally a giver, right? Like, um, yeah, you're just a natural giver. You, it seems like you get fed, your soul gets fed by giving to others, helping others, fucking give a boost to others, whether that's your partner, whether that's your friend, whether that's you donating very expensive shit to uh, organizations where I'm like, motherfucker, you should have hit me up first. I would have took all that <laughs> shit. What the, fuck are, what the fuck are you doing donating that to the fucking Salvation Army? God damn, yeah. your boy's out here struggling, my boy. and Paul's going to get a thousand dollar rug. That's boy. what I'm talking about. This boy gave an Egyptian Persian rug to a fucking, anyway. I need a rug. That's the crazy thing. But anyways, my brother. So how do you? What do you see yourself? Right? Because uh, you're you're. We can argue when we come to statistics and data. You may be in the halfway point of life. What do you see yourself ten years from now, fifteen years from now, twenty years from now? When we look back on this one day when we're fishing, drinking fucking cold brews. What 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 do you see yourself accomplishing to make your life fulfilled and to make your fucking journey complete? What does your completion of journey look like? That's what I really want to know about you in your mind. Damn. Um, well, I would say material things, anything material, money, fucking houses, all that stuff, they stay here, right? So I die, I leave in a casket, or they, they fucking burn me up, throw my ashes in the ocean where I want them to be thrown. But um, What ocean? I, uh, I would say by Hermosa Beach, bro. Okay. And most of the beach is probably like that. That's that's like my spot. I've had a, a lot of um, interactions on that beach, bro. And I would love to be fucking my ashes to be spread on that motherfucker. But uh, but once we um, once we get past that, the only thing left here, bro, is the memories of you. You know, so my dad always told me that my dad always said the only thing left is memory. So if you're a fucking gazillionaire, you leave hella money to everybody, dude. They're going to remember like, oh, my grandfather was fucking rich, whatever. You're going to blow that money on some bullshit, buy a house, whatever. But they're never going to forget, bro, the memories that you left behind. So I always try to impact every individual that I run across. And then also try to learn from that individual so that way I, I, I leave with those memories as well. So even if I had another influential person in my life, let's say I had a rich person that gave me a house, gave me a car, whatever. I'm not going to remember the fucking car that they gave me. I'm going to remember the fact that they gave it to me. So it's, it's, it, it, it goes a, a little deeper because material things just stay in life. You get, you know, we come here alone. We literally are born alone. We're going to die alone, right? So I always think of, like, material things don't fucking leave with us. So I look at that as, like, I'm going to take my memories of every single individual I ran across, and I'm going to keep those with me as I go away. So if I if you were asking me that question, like, what am I going to do moving forward? It has to do with that, man. It has to do with, like, what kind of, um, what kind of memory, what kind of... Um, legacy i guess for lack of better words am i gonna leave behind that people are gonna remember like oh this dude was super fucking funny 
that dude if people remember me for that i'll be like i'm cool with that like i would literally be floating a girl my grave like everybody remembers me as a funny ass guy and be like all right cool i did my job like because laughter is a is is joy bro laughter is is a part of life that not a lot of people have bro a lot of people life is sad for the most part until you have that joy and you're like wow life can be great life can be funny so if i can provide that laughter that joy for people then i'm like fuck it i'll take what i can get that's dope man it's yeah. almost like uh so in 10 15 years from now you want to be what, what what do you want to be yeah it, it, that reminds me of like it's, it's i don't know if it's a direct correlation but it's like it's motherfuckers don't remember what you said it's how you said it right exactly it's exactly. not that they gave you the information how, how enthusiastic right. how much did he love how much did he care right uh i said a, i said a quote the other week when i was doing a podcast with my little with, with the young leader is uh uh nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care right so so in that capacity yeah. is being, being someone that cares right. someone that loves someone that wants to bring joy to your life and that's true man even the people that have passed on i, I don't think about like the things that they left or didn't leave i think about like man yeah yeah so yeah yeah that, that's a really good point yeah man. physically physically when you retire um talk it into existence what does your retirement look like where do you sail off to what 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 is your end days what what, what is that like what's that get down shit we're gonna go fishing bro i'll tell you that uh i would say man i mean try to enjoy life man because we we're so selfless man we give our lives for this shit and i get it we signed up for it. a lot of people like dude you got you know when we talk about PTSD, TBI, all this stuff, people aren't like, well, you signed up for it. Nobody forced you. Nobody put a gun to your head to send a fucking contract. It's like, okay, Roger that. I got it. But at the end of the day, bro, when you're fucking retired, you got to look at yourself, look in yourself in the mirror and be like, dude, what do I want? Because I've given my whole fucking life for this country, for other people. And I know it sounds selfish, man, but... Unless we care for ourselves, man, there's very few people that give a fuck about how we are, you know, how we're doing. So I would say that look out for yourself, do some self-care, whatever it is you got to do, man, massages, you know, vacations, whatever you got to do, man, just fucking handle business and take care of yourself because life is short, bro. We only live one life. So we have to take advantage of that one life we have and just try to enjoy it, man, as much as we can. So long story short, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to retire at 55 and go fishing, boy. Hell yeah. Where do people go when they die? <laughs> Where do people go where they die? When they die. Shit. What happens? What's the afterlife like? I don't know, bro. It's tough because I don't, I don't like getting into religious conversations because I don't believe in God because of the things I've seen in my life. So it's kind of a, a dark side of me that's kind of a shocking question to be honest coming from you um but yeah i mean i used to believe in god until i saw the shit that i saw so it's kind of hard man i don't know i don't know i mean it's it's crazy but when i talk to liz about it liz believes in a higher power but she doesn't believe in god either bro so it's kind of a trip like we it's kind of weird that we met each other but we believe that there's obviously something keeping us alive but is it something keeping us alive or we're just born and our organisms are just keeping us alive, right? Our organs and shit. But I don't believe in hell, heaven. I believe when people die, shit just goes dark, you know? So when you go dark, it's a wrap. You know, that's the way I look at it. I don't believe, like, fucking there's all kinds of sheeps and sleeping next to lions and shit like it does in the Bible. 
it's just not my thing. So it's not like I'm religious or I'm not religious or atheist or anything. I just don't believe in it because of the things I've seen. And I feel like once you go to sleep, bro, it's a wrap. Like you just go to sleep. I, I feel like when you die, that's it. Like your, your, uh, your soul leaves your body and that's it. It's not like I'm against God or I don't believe in it. Hey, we're all entitled to our own views and opinions. And yeah. I think that, uh, not, not letting those views or opinions interfere with the relationships. I think is a, as a macro level conversation on, perspectives left right fucking religion politics all that don't matter because we're right here right now in the flesh and we're loving on each other and taking care of each other so to me that's what matters i appreciate you i'm grateful for you thank you um as someone who's uh uh i mean it took me fucking two months to get you down here again <laughs> i had to lure you in with shrimp tacos and fucking like 18 nice. packs and fucking jameson but we got you down here so the the likelihood of ever this happening again we don't know right there might be a some more series coming on, some funner series about uh, beer reviews or, you know, beer with a peer. Who knows? We're going to explore we that. Beer with a peer, bro. Yeah, we're going to. Segment. We're going to explore. Hood therapy. Hood therapy. We're going to explore that. But um, as a formal guest, as, as someone that's going to ask you these tough questions, I appreciate you sitting up here and being transparent, open, honest, authentic. And you're a bad motherfucker, man. And, and for the for wax, for the record. It's been an honor and privilege to be uh, in your presence and, and and learn from you and grow from you, and you know what's crazy? I'm gonna this this, this will be what's in closing here is that uh, you know you you said something, Kevin, about uh, if people could remember <laughs> remember you as being <laughs> funny, right? Bro, you are one of the funniest uh, motherfuckers that I've ever met in my life. A podcast or a show like this will never be able to, and this is where I'm going to fucking stun on everybody. Yeah, we'll never be able to because, number one, we're both professionals. and we. Wow, I'm trying to be serious. No, but listen, exactly. So this is where I'm going to give a disclaimer. So we're both professionals, and we both want to fucking promote one day. And uh, so they'll never be able to know the outlandish, outrageous, hilarious shit that we say that's borderline inappropriate i'll be the first one to say it but we're both at the end of the day i know that we're both looking at each other for laughs we're just trying to get that one thing that's going to make the other person laugh and i'll tell you man you're one of the few people that i'll go like I'll, I'll hang out with you i'll be in your presence and then i'll be like driving home or i'll be bro this has happened fucking oh many God. a times bro i'll be in my bed like just fucking on my phone and I'll think of some shit you said, and I'll start fucking laughing, bro. I'll just start fucking howling. <laughs> the shit we text, man. If somebody ever wanted to hack into our text message, man, uh, we gonna get canceled. Man, we're like gonna get arrested, boy. <laughs> yeah. I tell you. I appreciate you, my brother. Thank you for taking this journey appreciate with me. All right. Too, Thank you for doing this, man. I know this Thank was a big you, thing. And then I'm gonna do the you, thing. Bro. I love you too, my brother. And I'm gonna do the thing that everybody hates, but they love low key. <laughs> and I'm gonna hit the outro with the intro. Hello, everybody. Appreciate this you, is dog. Kevin. Thank you, brother. AKA Appreciate Beanie. Too, this is part two of Collection of Conversations. Motherfucking part two. We got you. All right, bro. I'll catch up with you in about like a couple minutes so we keep drinking. All right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>